Welcome to the Bethel Podcast. Thank you for taking time out of your day to spend time in God's Word. We hope that today's message blesses you and lifts you. If you have a Bible this morning, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. If you have a, on your phone, you can go to 1 Peter chapter 3 and then open up another a search engine or another screen. Go to Matthew chapter 25 and then open up another screen. Go to 1 John chapter 2 and then Luke chapter 11. 1 Peter chapter 3, Matthew 25, 1 John chapter 2 and Luke chapter 11. There's sometimes when you preach, you preach to a church. Sometimes when you preach, you preach to the church, not just a church, but to the church, but you do it in a church. Does that make sense? Did I lose anybody? Sometimes you preach to the whole entire church, even though you're preaching to a church. And that's what's happening today. There's some messages that God puts on, puts on a pastor's heart, and they just need to be preached to not just you, but everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord. It's estimated that there's a third of the planet is Christian. A third of the population in the world is Christian of some form or fashion. Some are more dedicated than others, but none needless to say a third of the earth population is Christian, which means that there's about 10 million churches, 10 million bodies of believers just like you. People getting together, coming together in Jesus' name, worshiping God, praying together, taking and enjoying God's word. So that means that there's probably over a billion sermons preached every year in the world. One B, B billion sermons preached every year. And so the title of today's sermon is, How Can I Help a Preacher Do Good? How can I make you preach better? Pastor, how can I make you make an impact? How can I help the evangelist hit the mark when he stands up and speaks God's word? How can I help the teacher not to be painfully boring, but to bring something that will help somebody? How can I bring, help the missionary to bring about God's plan to save souls and see the purposes and plans of God done in this world? And that's the question we're going to answer today. How can I help you do better? It's going to be a little rough here going for a minute, so I thought I'd tell you about little Susie who was watching her daddy, and he was a pastor. He was writing his sermon out, and she was looking over his shoulder. She said, Daddy, how do you know what to say? He said, well, God tells me. She says, well, why do you cross so much stuff out then? Okay, that wasn't very good. There was a pastor who's known for his real long sermons, and he noticed a man got up and left during the middle of the message, came back at the end of the service, and pastor caught him and said, uh, Where'd you go? He said, I went to get a haircut. He said, well, why didn't you do that before the service? He said, I didn't need one then. Oh, that's a little better. Well, I got one more for you. There was a preacher who's preaching sermon on temperance. And he was using, was very forceful, very using great expression. He said, if I had all the beer in the world, I'd throw it in the river. And he got stirred up more towards the end of the service. And he said, if I had all the wine in the world, I'd throw it in the river. And finally, he was just stirred up. He said, and if I had all the whiskey in the world, I would throw it in the river. And he sat down. The song leader got up and kind of sheepishly announced with a pleasant smile. He said, for our song, our closing song today, number 365, shall we gather at the river? 
<laughs> I'm glad you laughed because you might not do it in a while because this is going to be a little rough, so hang on with me. How to help a preacher do better. Are you ready? Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the ability to come together and just to enjoy the Word of God. There are many that don't understand what this means. They don't understand how precious this book is. They just think it's another piece of literature, but they don't realize it's the words from Almighty God. And so tonight we bow our hearts. Today we bow our hearts before the Word of God and thank you for it, God. Thank you for every soul that, that had to pay a price so that we could have this Word of God today. And I pray it will hit the mark. And it'll hit the target of those that it's, it's, it's meant to impact. And for all this, we're going to give you the glory and the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. How to help a preacher do better. Number one, live a life that confirms the message, not contradicts it. In this world, there are people that you know and that I know that have been hardened to the gospel. They're lost people and they're away from God, but they've been hardened to the gospel because they've watched other Christian people. And they thought to themselves, if that what means being a Christian is, I don't want anything to do with it. So when they come in and listen to a minister, they listen to a, a, a preacher on television, they become hardened to the message because they don't believe the people that have claimed to know, the, know Christ. It would be as if I went into a courtroom. And if I went into a courtroom and I was the prosecutor and I brought witness after witness before in the courtroom and every single one of them rebutted what my testimony was, rebutted what my prosecution was, how it would make me look so foolish if the people that I witnessed talked in circles and they didn't back up what I was saying. It would be hard for me to win any kind of cases. First Peter chapter 3 says it like this, there's power the way we live our lives. There's power the way we live our lives. Wives, in the same way, submit to your own husbands, that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. There is a sermon that you preach by the life that you live. So much so that if a wife has an unbelieving husband, she never has to invite him to church. She never has to leave little scriptures in his car. She never has to make little hints about going to church and about getting right with God. Just the way she lives her life is a sermon that's going to win his heart to Christ. Living the life of a real Christian is so critical to people becoming a Christian. Living the life of a Christian is so critical to people becoming a Christian. Had a friend, if you remember back in the 90s and the 2000s, everything was the multi-level marketing. You had to, whatever the product was, it was vitamins or it was uh, makeup or it was cleaning supplies or it was telephone calls or something, and you had to tell somebody and get them to sign up, and then they'd sign up and the you know, power multiplication. Well, I, I got bit by that back then, and, and I learned something. There are people who are waiting to see how you do before they ever, join, they ever joined in. Never signed one person up, Ryan. Not ever signed one person up. But I had one person after another person say, look, I'll just wait to see how you do. If you do good, then I'll sign up. And there's a world of people that are waiting to see how you and I respond in life circumstances. There's a generation of people that we know that look at how to see you respond in trial. When you go through that divorce, they're looking to see how does the Christian handle it. When your job gets downsized, when your kids don't do right, they're just watching you with binoculars to see how you're going to respond. And sometimes when your candidate doesn't win, they're just looking to see, are you responding in the right way, the way that the Christian should respond? Pastor Garrison said it best, everybody can be a jerk but us. People that go out to eat at church after Sunday and treat waitresses bad, 
you're making it really hard for me to preach the gospel. Talking several weeks back, a lady in our church, she used to work in food service. She said that Sunday afternoon crowd is the worst crowd we ever handled. And that's a stain on the, on the backs of the Christian. If your kid's teacher wants a conference and you act rude and hateful, you're hurting the preacher when that person goes to listen to the preacher preach the next time they go. If the salesman calls you on the phone and you give them a piece of your mind, you're hurting the pre preacher. If your kids get a bad call at the Little League game and you throw a fit right there in front of all the town, can I tell you, you're hurting every preacher in town because the thing is, is they're not going to listen to the words the preacher says because of the way that you responded. I told you it wasn't going to be that much fun for a while. I'll tell, the thing I like about being the preacher is because I get to tell stories about my wife and my kids and there's nothing they can do about it. We were at a ball game one time, Miss Leanne and myself and my two boys. Two of them, one was playing. And uh, so Miss Leanne's very vocal during ball games sometimes. And so she's shaking her head right now. So there was a coach who was coaching. It was a coach and a dad, and his son was playing the game. Well, his son threw up. It was a, I think it was a, it was a sixth, grade, sixth grade football game, peewee football game. So he starts, he, the little boy throws up, and the dad starts yelling at the little boy. I mean, just hollering at him, get over here, get on the bench, get over here. And just being, and of course, Leanne saw it, and she's mama bear before she's anything else. She starts yelling at the coach from the stands. He's only 12 years old, coach. What kind of coach are you? You're going to yell at a kid for throwing up? It's 100 degrees out here. So <clears throat> me and my boys picked our stuff up, walked down to the end of the bleachers, because there's sometimes you just can't reason with Miss Leanne. So anyway, when the game's over, guess who comes up to, to Leanne? The coach, I mean, he makes a beeline for her. And when I saw him coming, I got my stuff, and we headed to the car. And so uh, she, he stops her and says, I want to tell you why I was yelling at him, his son. He said, I told him at halftime, do not drink the whole Gatorade, you'll throw up. Guess what he did at halftime? He drank the whole thing, a Gatorade, and he threw up. And so he said, that's why I was yelling at him, not because I was being mean to him. And Leanne was sitting there kind of grinning, and she's not very, ever really doesn't have words to say, and this is one of the few times she didn't have much to say. She said, okay, thank you, and she took off. Don't get me wrong, we're passionate when we go to the ball game. We, we really do. We like to cheer for our team, and sometimes you can cheer the right way or you can cheer the wrong way. Help your preacher out and cheer the right way. Live a life that models Christ to those around you. First church we pastored. The first six months, there were 10 new people that came as visitors to our church and were attending for, six, for, for those first six months. At the end of the six months, I went and I couldn't find one of them. And when I began to investigate, every single one of those people had tied up, gotten in an argument, gotten in a fight, gotten upset with the person who had brought them to church. And I learned something. You can help the preacher by the way you live outside the doors of the church. Number two, how can I help my pastor preach better? By loving the least of these. By loving the little guy. By loving the ones that nobody else loves. Back in the late 90s, within a week, there was two well-known people that had passed away. Mother Teresa, who was a missionary in Calcutta, India, spent her, spent her life taking care of the poor, the destitute, says that she had over 4,500 nuns that were active in 133 countries. She, the congregation manages homes for people who are dying of AIDS, leprosy, and tuberculosis. Also runs a soup kitchen, dispensaries, mobile clinics, children's and family counseling programs, as well as orphanages and schools. People of, of Mother Teresa who, who came from her take vows of chastity, poverty, obedience, and also profess a fourth vow to give wholeheartedly free service to the poorest of the poor. 
There's a little lady, Catholic lady, who spent her life giving to the people that nobody else cared about, the ones we call the least of these. That same week, there was a lady named Princess Diana. She was also passed within a week of the same thing. She is known as the most photographed woman in the world. She was married to the heir of the British throne. Her charitable work included those she was cleaning up landmines from old wars, helping the hungry in Africa, taking care of the children that nobody of orphanages around the world. And her Christian faith, they said, was a big driver in her charity work. And she died the same month of Mother Teresa. So the point being is it doesn't matter who you are in this world, everybody can reach out to somebody who doesn't have what they have. Everybody can be somebody to the least of these. And when you do that, it really makes it easier to stand up here and preach. When they see the church reaching out to the poor, when they see the church reaching out to the destitute, when they see the church reaching out to the sick and giving to missions and going around the world and doing things that will build people up and heal the ills of mankind, it makes it so much easier to somebody to listen when the preacher preaches the gospel. Look at Matthew chapter 25. I want to read to you, if I can, the words that Jesus gave I think on the screen they may just put a couple of different ones, but let me read to you Matthew 25, verse 31. He says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. The king will say to those on the right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, for I was hungry. And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. And I was in prison and you visited me. The righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry? Feed you. Thirsty and give you something to drink. When did we see you as a stranger and take you or naked and clothe you? When you did these, when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you, whatever you do for one of the least of these... Brothers of mine, you did for me. He'll say to those on the left side, he'll say, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was stranger, and you did not take me in. I was naked, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they too reply, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick in prison? King will answer, truly I tell you, Whatever you do not for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Very, very sobering words. Right now, some people back there in, in the nursery, and they'd love to be here where you are, but they're wiping noses, they're changing diapers, they're taking care of the ones, the little guys that can't take care of themselves. Can I tell you what they're doing? They're doing exactly what Jesus said. They're taking care of the least of these. There's some, some, some in Kitch Church right now, they'd love to be in here with us. But they're taking care of the the ones that they don't know uh, like you do. They don't know Jesus. And they're having to tell them the elementary stories of the word of God. What they're really doing, if we just translate it, they're taking care of the least of these. The world does. It loves an underdog. The world loves an underdog. How many have ever seen the movie Glory Road? It's the movie about the... um, the, the Texas Wesleyan basketball team, all black, five black starters, first time in the history of the NCAA, they won the championship. It's kind of one of those underdog stories, and we all love to watch it. How many of you saw the movie Miracle about the 1980 U.S. hockey team that defeated Russia, win the gold medal? The world loves it. They'll flock to it. See, the thing is, is and ironically, 
Jesus is all about the, uh, the underdog. He loves the underdog. We just read about it. See, he loves the underdog because he's an underdog. He was born in the, one of the smallest countries in one of the smallest fishing villages in all of the world. He was nobody of a great reputation. He did not have a great name. He didn't come from wealth. He lived in poverty. And yet he rose up from that. And he became to sit at the right hand of God. And he prays for me and for you. And so now he's labeled as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it started all in a little place called Bethlehem. And it ends in a place called heaven. Jesus loves the underdog. And when you love the underdog too, can I tell you, people stand up and pay attention. What makes me so proud of Bethel? One of the things that I'm the most proud of is the way that you reach out to people who are the least of these. It doesn't matter who walks in the doors of this church. I have watched it more times than I could ever count. I've seen you hug them, shake their hands, welcome them, pray with them in the altar. And it makes it so much easier to preach to when you treat the least of these like that. Thirdly today, it's easier to preach when church doesn't have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. It's easier to preach when the church doesn't have one foot in the world and one in the church. See, the goal is sometimes the world says we're trying to see how close to, to the church we can get and still stay in, the, stay in the world, but the goal is to stay, to see how close you can get to the church. It get, I did this last week, and I can't remember how it worked out. I don't think it worked out very good. Stay close to Jesus. We can't seek out their entertainment. We can't drink their drinks. We can't walk where they walk and go where they go and hang out at their hangouts and, and live like they live because, see, the thing is, is sometimes the world, the church in the world has tried to see how close you've been regenerated and washed and God's changed your heart and changed your life. So instead of us trying to get like them so they'll be like us, let's just be us and they'll come after us. Muhammad Gandhi said this, religious leader in India, said, India he said, I like the Christian faith, just sometimes not so much the people. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 15, he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. When Christians love the world, it's fashion, it's glamour, it's players, they're on the wrong bus. It's on the wrong bus. He called us a different people. I've heard it said sometimes people say, well, folk, there's some folks that are so heavenly, they're, not, they're, they're no earthly good. And I've met a few people like that. But I've met more people that are so worldly, they were no heavenly good. I've seen Christian people sue other Christians for money. It's not right. I've seen Christians work overtime, put all their energy and effort into their jobs to making money, and they just give God a little bit of time every so often. I've seen Christians spend more time getting their body ready for church than their spirit. They come to church empty. They're looking for a fill-up so they can go live in the world however they want to the other six days of the world. I've heard Christians say, I don't know the Bible like I should. Of all the people in the world, the Christians should know the Bible the best. The Muslims shouldn't know the Bible, they're Muslim. The, the, the Buddhists shouldn't know the Bible, they're Buddhists. The Christians should know the Bible better than anybody else in the world because they're Christians. If we don't know the Word of God, my friend, who will? Listen to me, in the day in which we live, if we don't know the Bible, the Scriptures, nobody else is going to tell us what it's, what it's really about. The Christian has to know the Scriptures, has to know the Word of God. I wrote down, don't think there'll be much laughing at this point. And then I put, I underlined it and put it in bold. You're preaching real good. Keep on going. <laughs> we got the greatest product the world's ever seen. Come on. 
This thing that we sell, this relationship with Jesus Christ, it's the greatest thing that's ever been known to mankind. It's the most wonderful relationship. Who would want to die for somebody they thought rose from the dead? Who would want to die for somebody that, that maybe possibly didn't or did die, die, rose from the dead? But they died a martyr's death because they believed that there really was a man who rose again to pay the penalty for sin for you and for me. Christians that walk away from church, that walk away from ministry, that walk away from the kingdom of God, they're telling the world, I'm just not 100% sure who he really is. But can I tell you today, friend, I know who he is. He is worth every breath of your body. He is worth every penny in your pocket. He is worth every child that you have. He is worth everything that this life, you could ever attain in this life. Cast it all away and follow and seek after Jesus. Follow and seek after Jesus. Follow and seek after Jesus. He's worth it. He's worth it. He's worth it. When it gets hard, don't give up. When it gets tough, don't get up. When you get offended and your feelings hurt, don't quit. Don't give up. When you get tired of praying, don't stop. Get tired of working, don't stop. Tired of giving, don't stop. The gospel's got to be preached, and you're the very one that'll help somebody listen to the gospel because they'll say, I've seen what they've been through. I know they've buried loved ones. I know the divorce they went through. I know the struggle they've been through, but they still have a spring in their step. They still have a smile on their face. They still have contentment in their heart. There must be something to this Jesus that they adhere to, something about just holding on while everybody else is giving up. I know this is not a pastor meeting, but in the United States, the average tenure of the U.S. pastor is two years. Average tenure of a pastor in the United States is two years. Can I tell you what that tells me? Pastor, you got to stick around. I mean, let me tell you something. I've pastored three churches. You don't know your head from a hole in the ground after two years. You're still trying to figure it out. But I know this. If there's anything that needs to happen in our pastor friends in the, in the United States today is to stick it out to hang in there. Lastly, today, and I'm about to land the plane, lastly, you can help the preacher by praying. Praying for him. Praying for his preaching. Praying for his wife. Praying for his kids. Doesn't matter what, who it is, a Sunday school teacher, pray for him. Youth pastor, pray for him. Kids pastor, <laughs> really pray for him. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, probably one of the first mega church pastors back in the 1800s, 5,000 people come to his church. This was back before they had any kind of sound equipment. Can you imagine yelling that guy? He had a set of lungs, didn't he? It's said that people today, he's the most, one of the most quoted preachers of all the preachers outside of the Gospels, outside of the Bible. He's one of the most quoted preachers. And there was a little crippled man. History tells us that every single sermon at the, at the, at the church that he pastored would come and sit on the altar over to the side and they'd have to actually, somebody would have to help him there, there, and then have to help him when the service was over. And for the whole entire of the service, he would just pray. Just pray and intercede for that service, for the pastor, that the words he spoke, the words he preached would make their, would make their mark. And Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, of all the things that I've done, the books that I've written, the success that I've gained, he said, I can really attribute it to that little crippled man who would always come and pray and ask God to help me preach and that the word of God would go forward. Pray for the pastor. Pray that God will make his sermon alive to somebody. In church, while you're having church and you're sitting there, pray under your breath, not out loud. Pray under your breath. Say, God, there's somebody here that this message has to hit. There's a soul that's away from God. There's a prodigal that needs to hurt under your breath. Ask God to let that sermon make hit its mark. Pray that a sinner in service will be converted, not just convicted of their sin, but converted from, from death to life. 
Pray that the signs will accompany the preaching of the Word of God, just like the Bible says. says. Pray that God will help the pastor to live a life worthy of the calling that he adheres to. Pray that God will give him strength and courage. Pray that God won't let him quit. Pray that God will give him the, 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 the means to supply and to take care of his family. Pray if he's laying an egg, pray for him. Y'all know what that means? If the pastor's laying an egg, not literally an egg, but if the pastor's praying an egg, pray for him. That means if he's preaching and it's just flat. And nobody, I mean, it looks like people are looking at their watches, pray and ask God to turn it around. If he's landing the plane, pray for him. Sometimes preachers land the plane for 30 minutes. Pray for him in that moment. If he's making a plea for sinners, he's making a plea that someone will come to Christ, ask God in that moment. Before the service, come to church praying that God will move. After the service, pray that the words that were spoken, the things that were done, they're still making an impact as people are going home. During the service, pray for the Spirit of God to move upon the hearts of every person. Pray that the the broken person will be lifted up. Pray that the discouraged person will be encouraged. Pray that the broken person will be healed while he's sleeping. Pray, God, while he's sleeping, give him dreams and visions. While he's at work, pray God will help him while he's at work. While he's preaching to your kids, ask God, God, let the words that the preacher's preaching to my kids go into their heart and make a change and transformation. While he's on vacation, pray for him there too. I just try to think of every single place I can think to pray for a pastor. Pray the words he'll be life and energy to those who hear. Last scripture, Luke chapter 11. Pray that God will fill him full of the Holy Ghost. Pray that God will move. He said, if you know being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Pray God give him the Holy Spirit. He said, are you talking about just you? No, the pastor down the road. Your brother-in-law who's a preacher. Your neighbor who pastors the church. That pastor who pastors the biggest church in town, pray it for him. Our sister churches, pray for them. The ones teaching Sunday school, those ladies teaching the little kids back in, 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 in on Wednesday night. Pray God will move upon them and give them the strength and the grace. Are you still with me? Last story. There's a missionary by the name of C.L. Haston, well-known in Arkansas, in the Assemblies of God, kind of a, one of the heroes of the faith, been doing it a long time. Missionary to the Samoan Islands. Samoan Islands are, I don't even know where they are, they're in the middle of nowhere. And he's gone there and for years, and he tells the story. I was working in Memphis one, one Wednesday night, went to church. He just happened to be there, told the story. He said he was driving. Of course, in Samoan Islands, he says, we don't have, they don't have paved roads. It's just a dirt road on the side of a hill. He said, and we was, I was driving one night. It was raining real hard. He said, couldn't see much of anything. You had to go slow, of course, because, you know, you're on a dirt road, mud road at that particular point. He said, and as I was, I was driving, he said, I just had this thought to speed up. He said, when you're driving the Samoan Islands in the rain, rainstorms, your first thought is not to speed up, it's to slow down. He said, so I just kind of let it pass, drove on for a little while, and then finally he said, I heard it again, just a little, you know, down in here, that still small voice said, speed up. He said, and I'd learned enough, I'd known enough about God that sometimes if he, if he repeats himself, you better go ahead and do it. So he said, I just sped up. He said, about 10 miles an hour. He said, and almost to the point, just as soon as I'd sped up and turned a corner, I heard a big, loud crash behind the car. He said, and when I, and I stopped, because it, he said, it shook me up. It was so loud. And I turned around and looked, and there was a tree that had fallen off the side of the hill and landed across the road right behind where his car had just been. He said, and I, he said, it shook me up so much. He said, I, I pulled over and stopped. He said, I almost was shaking so bad because I realized I was just about, <laughs> about 30 seconds from death. 
He said, I stopped and thanked the Lord and said, Lord, thank you for, for speaking to me. And thank you, Lord, for giving me that, helping me to hear that still small voice. He said, in the moment I was thanking God, he said, I saw a picture in my mind. He said, I saw a picture of a little Pentecostal lady somewhere in the world kneeling in an altar. He said she, she said, he, she said she was old school. She had the little bun on top of her head and the long dress and didn't have any makeup on. He said, but I didn't really care. He said, but as I, as, as I saw her in my mind, he said, I heard her say my name before God at the altar. He said, and, and as I sat there, it's almost like the Lord just spoke to me. Somewhere, there's a little lady in a church at an altar, and I laid your name on her heart, and she prayed for you. And as she prayed for you, and she asked God to give you favor and asked God to get you down the road, I answered her prayer, and I saved your life tonight. And I wonder how many times that's happened where somewhere somebody has prayed for a missionary, prayed for a minister, prayed for a youth pastor, prayed for a teacher, and somehow God has heard that prayer and saved a, did a mighty work for the kingdom of God just from that one prayer. Come on, stand with me today. Father, today in the name of Jesus, we give an opportunity now to come and pray for ministers. And God, a crowd this size, God, there's people that have neighbors who are ministers and they have friends that are pastors, brothers or sisters that are pastors. They have, they have loved ones. Maybe they're a Sunday school teacher. Maybe they go out and minister in their community. But God, we, today I pray for the next few moments of time that we'll come together and we'll pray for the pastor. We'll pray for the evangelist. We'll pray for the missionary, for the teacher, for the apostle, for the prophet, God, and we'll do a work for the kingdom of God. And maybe somewhere in the world, there'll be a little bitty, there'll be a missionary somewhere whose life hangs in the balance. And today, God, by the prayers that we pray, there's going to be a great victory for the kingdom of God. I pray it in Jesus' name. I pray it in Jesus' name. And I love you for it. I love you for it. Thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that it challenges you to dig deeper into the Word of God and grow your faith. If you would like to reach out to us, please visit our website at www.mybethel.net. Thank you.